yes, it's that time again. It's time for your weekly dose of science on the little international show we call Diffusion. Coming up on this week's show, we'll be marching with the penguins. We'll be investigating the link between disco biscuits and anxiety attacks. And we'll have a look at anything else we can squeeze into a half-hour show. But as always, before we can get to any of that, here's all the science news that's fit to broadcast, and possibly some that's not, with Richard Coots. Poo power, turning raw sewage into raw energy. That's next on Diffusion Science News, but first, rocket science. It's been all systems go in the deserts of Woomera this month, with Queensland rocket scientists achieving two successful launches of their experimental scramjet engine. The University of Queensland team sent the high shot 4 and 5 to the sky at more than eight times the speed of sound. The rocket's new scramjet design draws oxygen from the air rather than onboard tanks like conventional rockets. The launches were so successful that Boeing, the Uni, the state and federal governments have partnered up with big checks to keep the project airborne. Norwegians are feeling extra cosy this winter thanks to a new sewage plant opened last week that pumps the warmth of fresh, er, uh, waste right back into the homes of Oslo. The plant uses refrigeration technology to extract heat from the wastewater of toilets, baths, showers and energy that otherwise ends up down the drain. An existing network of hot water pipes takes the heat from the plant around the city, distributing 18 megawatts of energy, enough to warm around 9,000 apartments. Norwegian engineers reckon similar systems could work in many places around the world, but they're still trying to deal with irregularities in the flow, particularly Saturday night's beer influx. As if we didn't already know how great wetlands are, a new UN report reckons they could be the key to containing the spread of bird flu. The report notes that restricting contact between domestic and migratory birds is vital to controlling the deadly H5N1 virus. But destruction of wetlands around the world is forcing wild birds to mix with poultry, spreading the disease. The report also called for the difficult task of separating bird farming from human settlements and the immediate culling of infected flocks with full com compensation for farmers. And if you love your latex, you might be surprised to know that 1 in 10 people are seriously allergic to this common natural rubber. Fortunately, researchers from the University of Queensland have been looking at an alternative rubber-producing plant known as Wyoli. This species produces superior non-allergenic rubber, uh, but it is hard to grow in Australia. Wyoli is already the rubber of choice for sensitive items like medical gloves, catheters and, of course, condoms. The Queenslanders are, tri are trialling agricultural methods that'll hopefully supply heaps of Wyoli latex for less than the cost of traditional latex and its synthetic alternatives. And that's Diffusion Science News for this week. Amanda George is researching the relationships between substance use and mental health among young adults, in particular the associations between ecstasy use and its effect on personality, anxiety, depression and how it affects your ability to think straight, aka cognition. Tim Baines caught up with Amanda in February and recorded this interview. Amanda, first of all, what is 
ecstasy. Ecstasy is the name we commonly use for a chemical called MDMA or methyl methamphetamine. But since that is quite a mouthful, we'll go with MDMA. We'll stay with MDA. Yeah. Yep. And this chemical is related to amphetamines, so it helps people to feel more alert. But it also has other properties which alter people's um, thoughts and, and perceptions. But I think it's also very important to acknowledge that if someone buys a pill as ecstasy, it might only contain a very small amount of MDMA or it might not actually contain MDMA at all. All right. So what are the, the, the sort of tricks or what are the things that it might have other than MDMA? Yeah, it could be a primarily methamphetamine base which means that people will, will feel alert for many hours, but they won't get those other effects. And there's been a wide variety of fillers reported that can be put in there, like caffeine, ketamine, all sorts of things, and more dangerously, um, PMA, which has been linked to um, earlier deaths in South Australia. Wow. So back to MDMA, yep. also known as ecstasy, or the, the essential ingredient, if you like, in ecstasy. Yep. In, in, from a sort of hard-nosed scientific point of view, what are the... The, uh, the, the short-term effects of ecstasy. Okay, well, if someone takes an ecstasy pill and it contains an active dose of MDMA, they'll normally start to feel the effects about 20 minutes to 60 minutes after they've taken the drug. And what happens is that MDMA enters the brain and it causes a massive release of serotonin from your cells. It actually, similar to an antidepressant medication, inhibits the reuptake of serotonin back into the cells. So you've got a, a lot of serotonin floating around and this causes massive uplift in yeah, mood. You feel ecstatic. You feel ecstatic, hence yep, yeah. hence the name. Uh, euphoric, increased confidence and a decrease in inhibitions. But what particularly distinguishes ecstasy from other drugs is that people report a sort of emotional openness and empathy with other people. Uh, but it can also cause things like an increased heart rate, increase in body temperature, uh, nausea, lack of appetite, which is all related to the many functions that serotonin has. Yeah, it's all over the place, really, in it the sure body. It sure is. Um, does anyone know what the long-term effects of ecstasy are? Yeah, that's sort of the million-dollar question, and there's mm. there's no clear answer to it. But certainly whether it has long-term effects on the serotonin system, whether it can actually cause irreversible damage or neurotoxicity, which is how it's referred to, um, has been widely debated. But what's now known and commonly accepted from animal studies is that MDMA can cause long-term damage to particular parts of the serotonin cell, which is thought to be irreversible. And unfortunately, no study has really been able to monitor humans over a long enough period of time mm. because research in the area is particularly new. Um, no one knows whether any damage will, say, be there in 20 years' time. But what studies have been able to do in humans is to look at the potential effects from a functional point of view. So by looking at users and former ecstasy users and testing them on things like their memory and looking at their anxiety and depression levels. And certainly uh, many studies have shown that ecstasy, both current use and former use, is related to memory impairments and learning impairments, particularly for those tasks that require more of a higher order cognitive demand. So when you're faced with multiple tasks mm, or something yeah. like that. But definitely what is needed is sort of study that we can follow the same people over time and look at their memory and look at things like their anxiety and depression. And that's the, the project that I'm working on 
at Centre for Mental Health Research. It's called Excellent. the Path Through Life Project. So we'll actually be able to do that. We can follow the same people who are using ecstasy now and look at them in, say, 16 years' time and see how it's affected wow. them. That's, yeah. yeah. Hopefully I will have finished my thesis by then. Yeah, yeah. hopefully <laughs> your thesis doesn't depend on that. Anyway. No, no, it doesn't, so that's 16 good. 16 years from now, yeah. You're taking an epidemiological point of view. Is this right? I got the right yeah. terminology yeah, there? Yeah, definitely. So in terms of that sort of epidemiology or public health, what's the comparison... Uh, Better or worse, I say, and that's a very simple question to ask, but yep. I imagine it's a difficult to answer. The, the comparison between, say, tobacco and alcohol, I, I, imagine, I don't know what the prevalence of ecstasy consumption is, and mm-hmm. you know, on the on the not just the person, but on the on the public health, on the the population, what's the the difference or the similarities between ecstasy and alcohol consumption? Okay, well. Certainly, ecstasy is not as commonly used as alcohol consumption. Um, According to National Drug Strategy household surveys, for example, about 8% of those within the ACT um, who are aged 14 years and over have tried ecstasy or used it in the previous year. In terms of from a public health perspective, I think the main difference between something like ecstasy and tobacco and alcohol is that, well, tobacco and alcohol are legal substances. Mm. They're, They're manufactured and the manufacturers clearly have to stipulate what yeah. is in it. Um, it's very controlled. and It's you, very controlled, you, exactly. Yeah. Whereas when you're buying a ecstasy pill, um, no one knows what's in their pill. And as we've mentioned, it could contain a, a lot of other different drugs and they won't know how it's going to affect them. And it certainly carries with it um, different risks from, say, using tobacco um, mm. or, or alcohol. And those risks are unknown in the long term. They are unknown in the long term. And certainly in the short term, Use of ecstasy with with other drugs, including say antidepressant medications, can be fatal in some instances. Um, using too much water while someone's on ecstasy can actually cause water intoxication, and wow. that's been linked to some deaths because it actually prevents the the hormone in your brain. Um, you can't actually release urine as as you were before. So oh, yeah. if someone's active while they're on ecstasy, they should only be drinking about 500 mils of water in that hour. And if they're not active, they should be having about 250 mils of water in that hour. Mm-hmm. So, but I think communicating those risks, those mm. short-term risks, you know, you can certainly take measures to minimise the potential for harm. So if someone is using ecstasy, they can, they can take measures. That was Tim Baines, Diffusion's Canberra correspondent, interviewing Amanda George from the Centre for Mental Health Research at the Australian National University. If you'd like to know more about the research being done there, have a gander at this website, www.anu.edu.au slash cmhr.
Sunlight Falls by Acoustic Syndicate. And from sunlight to cinemas. It's not often you can see a wildlife documentary on the big screen at a major cinema complex. So we sent Diffusion's own Phil Dooley to have a look at the new film Marching with Penguins. The March of the Penguins is a documentary about emperor penguins, the sole inhabitants of the Antarctic winter. It's a full-length feature film narrated by Morgan Freeman, the legendary American actor. It's superbly shot and fascinating to watch, and if you like a wildlife documentary, you'll love it. But at the end of the day, there are no surprises. If you like penguins, you'll love the movie. If you don't, you may just get a touch bored. The opening shot through the haze over an ice sheet shows the penguins trudging across the ice like somberly clad old ladies in a funeral procession. Yes, the stars are penguins. There are no humans in the movie at all. And they make pretty damn good stars too. I'd rate them pretty highly in the scale of what my friend in the biodiversity world calls charismatic megafauna. The detail of the photography, too, is breathtaking, showing every ripple of their feathers and scale of their gnarled feet. Possibly the most remarkable part of the movie is the behaviour of the penguins. Their endearing waddle, their clumsy slip-ups, and best of all, one of the oldest gags of all, two penguins getting jammed in a doorway. But it's not just comedy. There are some quite touching romantic scenes too, watching a pair of penguins committing to what must be one of the hardest parental journeys, literally, that you could imagine. And of course tragedy too, and it is here that the movie teeters on the brink. Morgan Freeman's southern twang as he solemnly describes the never-ending winter began to edge towards the Disney wild animal stories of my youth. 
Unfortunately, the directors do not fall into the trap of naming out penguins or even following a specific couple's trials. But the scientific detail is not as rich as I'd hoped for. We've been spoilt by Sir David. The photography is quite stunning, but I'm hoping to see the Attenborough Penguin episode to find out the details of things like the rotation system that the penguins use to survive the fiercest storms at 80 degrees below. And when you begin to tire of the penguins, the amazing colours of Antarctica, the aurora playing across the blazing sky of stars and the sunrise after a supposedly never-ending winter will absolutely knock you out. I wouldn't have missed this movie, but I did want a little bit more. And as with many movies, the highlights were the bloopers shown as the credits roll. This is also where we catch a glimpse of the real stars, the film crew who were out there in the minus 80 never-ending winter. I'm hanging out for the making of the March of the Penguins. And that was Phil Dooley escaping a never-ending winter in March of the Penguins. You're listening to Diffusion, the international science show. Now it's time for all the news that didn't make the news. Can we forget about the things I said when I was drunk? Didn't mean to call you that. Out of Bristol University in England, from Dr. David Nutt, we could have the holy grail of a good time out. A good time out? I'm talking having fun, drinking, and no consequences. No heavy head no hangover in the morning. No hangover in the morning. Whoa, 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 whoa. Tell us more. Dr. Dr. Nutt, as, um, as we've come to know him, he's developed these chemicals called partial agonists, or PAs as they call them. And what they claim to be able to do is to give you all the, um, let's say, favourable effects of alcohol. Like singing ability? Uh, like... Like perceived singing ability, yes, uh, without all the unfavourable, like vomiting and um, falling asleep in a gutter. Unplanned pregnancies? Unplanned pregnancies. Those strange bruises that you always seem to come home with. I don't know if they're going to be able to do anything with the five kilos of change I always come home with, but um, that's a different story. New Scientist magazines also picked this up, and they, they also reckon that uh, these PAs, these partial agonists, are going to be able to produce the desirable effects, but something really excellent, the, uh, what makes these even better, is that at the end of the night, after you're fully tanked on these, uh, on these PAs, instead of these alcohol substitutes, you can take a drug, it's just a simple tablet, that neutralizes it so you can drive home. Whoa. No more designated driver, no more leaving the keys in the wife's handbag, none of that. What about, okay, at the moment when you go out, if you have, like, a certain number of drinks, you've got to be watching how many standard drinks you've had mm-hmm. until you can drive. Do we need to somehow balance how much of these PAs you've had with how much of these, uh, like, anti-PAs you well, have to take? that's always going to be mm-hmm. the like, problem, that's going to be... And it also, it also leaves the, the gate wide open for, for binging and all sorts of stuff. Like, if you don't have a... You know you're not going to have a consequence. Yeah. That you can drink and drink and drink until... You're almost dead, and you can just take a pill, go and do whatever you want to do. What's to stop you taking too much? One of the uh, our diffusion uh, our diffusion team 
uh, brought up an interesting question this afternoon in that um, what is the difference between one of these and the so-called designer drugs like we brought up ecstasy before? What's the difference between the... Because ecstasy is one of those drugs that's supposed to uh, not have too many negative effects. It's supposed to have all these euphoric effects as we discussed before, but not too many bad effects like uh, no massive hangovers and things like that. What's the difference between one of these drugs and something like ecstasy or, or some of the other um, designer drugs? And when did they think that was going to be on the market, did they say? Um, not yet, but they say, let me see, they said that they could be producing these things uh, with current technology. So that sort of tells me that they, they could be producing them pretty soon hmm. should they get uh, approval from the different... Mm. the different uh, drug um, drug bodies and food bodies and things like that. Something else that didn't make the news, which I found interesting, was that Kentucky, Kentucky, the state in America, have, on Tuesday last week, they voted to outlaw hunting on the internet. Now, I'm not talking about computer games or anything like that, but it's a little close. There are people, a lot of people in America, we all know Americans love to hunt. Uh, it's not restricted to Americans. A lot of Australians, a lot of Europeans do it as well. But Americans take it that one step further. They wanted to be able to do it from their lounge. Well, why not? They, There are websites in America where you can kill animals from your chair. You can shoot an over animal the internet. with a real gun over the internet. Okay, but this has been outlawed now. Why? In some states. In Kentucky? Only 10 states, or 11 now with, with Kentucky coming on board, but only 11 states in America, so all the others, you can log on to a, uh, onto a website and you can you pay them money. I think, it's, I think I've researched it before. I think it's about 60 bucks or something like that. And, and how they work is that they have a camera hooked up to a rifle, a loaded rifle, and whatever happens to walk past, and I say... Whatever happens to walk past, there's, there's obviously there's there's no way they can stop it. Um, if something walks past the crosshairs that they have superimposed up on your screen, you electronically press the trigger, like the the OK button or, or whatever. Quick double click, and you watch the animal fall down dead or wounded or whatever happens to be. And does anybody go and collect your prize for you so you can hang it up on the wall? They do. Oh, okay. Some so of it's these a sites service. will. Smile. Uh, some of these sites will actually uh, butcher and package the animal for you. Oh, so you and, can have a barbecue and FedEx it to you. Um, <laughs> so you can kill and eat your own animals from your armchair. Since I was a lonely child, I think I feel too much. Been without it for so long, I really 
but internet hunting's made me a little sleepy. And we're coming down with a little bit of bloom there, an up-and-coming UK band. But sadly, that's all we have time for in this edition of Diffusion. Warming the seats on this week's show were Richard Coots, Tim Baines, Phil Dooley and Jackie Hayes. If you'd like any information on any of the topics we dabbled in this week, if you have a cash for comments deal for us, or if you think we've got no idea, you can email us on diffusion at 2SCR.com. This week, Diffusion was produced by Jackie Hayes up here in the tropical studios of 2SCR Sydney, and we're broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. We're also broadcast wherever you happen to be via our podcast. Have a search for us on iTunes. Uh, According to the waistband of my underpants, I'm Matthew Clark, and I hope to see you back here next week for another round of science news and views on Diffusion.